<clears throat> Look with me, please. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 21 this morning, reading through verse 26. Paul writes, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you for the privilege to stand and proclaim your word. We thank you for the health, for your truth as it's been revealed unto us. And we thank you for your spirit who illuminates our minds, our understanding, provides discernment, and teaches us and guides us within the truth of your word. So we pray this day that we might be able to proclaim your truth unhindered. Father, we ask that your spirit would use the truth of your word in every heart and every life of those who've gathered with us in this place today. And may you receive all the glory and all the honor thereby. And once again, we ask that every word of our mouth and the very meditation, the thoughts of our heart be acceptable, be pleasing in your sight. For it's in Christ's name we ask. Amen. Thank you and be seated. Paul states his thesis as we've reviewed through this many weeks that we've been in Philippians. Actually, uh, we've been dealing with the furtherance of the gospel. This is our fifth week now in this particular matter in these, this portion of the text in which we find ourselves this morning concluding this part uh, of the text. And Paul states his thesis statement, as I've reminded you, in which he declares his purpose for writing this letter in chapter 1 and verse 10. And again, I want to state to you that we find in the epistles that there is always a thesis statement that is made, usually within the first few verses of the introduction of a chapter. Usually there would be an introduction, and then following after the introduction, the writer will state his thesis for the entirety of the letter of which he has written. And in this case, we find this to be in Philippians 1, 9, and 10, where Paul says, "...in this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent." that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. And so Paul says that you may approve things that are excellent, which is saying that they might acknowledge that which has been proven to be superior. That's what Paul is saying. My prayer is for you that you acknowledge that which is superior to all other things. And as I've said throughout the many weeks of this study, we see Paul further expounds upon this emphasis of the letter by providing a personal example of acknowledging that which is superior in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. So just two chapters later, we see he writes, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ, yea, or yes, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, notice the wording here, for the excellency, and that means superiority and value, of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but donger, but refuse, that I may win Christ." So here Paul is saying in chapter 1, verse 9, that he desires, and he prays verses 8 and 9, he desires for these, or 9 and 10, I'm sorry, he desires for these believers at Philippi to acknowledge those things that are proven to be excellent, proven to be superior. And then in chapter 3, he provides us this personal example of how he has done this very thing of which he instructs the Philippian church to do. And he says, again, I count those things I once thought gain, those things I once thought to be important, those things I once thought to be superior. He says, I count all things but loss. They are, they are nothing anymore to me for this purpose in exchange for the superiority of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. 
And therefore, I count all things but garbage, he says, inferior to knowing Christ. And again, knowing Christ here does not merely mean only in the moment of salvation, but he is speaking of continuing to know Christ in his fullness. Remember, if you don't, we'll get there eventually, Lord willing, in Paul's epistle to the Colossians, he states that in Christ dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Christ is the very expression of the fullness of God in the flesh. And so when Paul says that I may know him in Philippians 3.10, and here he says, I count all things but lost for the knowledge, the superiority, the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Again, he's not just speaking of I know him in salvation, I'm not going to perish, but he's saying to know the fullness of Christ, to know him in all manners in which I can possibly know him, which he again expressed in verse 10 of chapter 3. Because in Philippians 3.10, he says that I may know him, Christ, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And Paul here is stating that I may know him in his fullness and whatever it requires for me to know Christ, I desire that God allow that in my life that I may know him in his fullness. Because in him is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is the preeminent one. In verses 4 and 5, Paul expressed thankfulness for this church at Philippi and their fellowship in the gospel. He says, Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. After having unpacked verses 3 through 11 for many weeks concerning Paul's emphasis on the fellowship of the gospel, we then move forward into our examination of Paul's emphasis on the furtherance of the gospel as we see in verse 12. But I would, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. So Paul used this portion of the epistle to contrast the difference which exists between those who who further the gospel with pure motives and those who further the gospel with impure motives. In verses 15 through 18, Paul expressed his joy when the purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached, even if the motives of those who preach Christ were not pure themselves. Paul rejoiced that the truth of Christ was preached when the truth of Christ was preached, regardless of the motive. And again, I don't want to belabor the point, but I need to express this to you again. Paul does not say, somebody mentioned Jesus, therefore I rejoice. He says, no, they are preaching the purity of the gospel, the truth, same truth I preach, they preach. No matter what their motive is, I rejoice that Christ is preached. And so there's a great distinction which must be understood here, because Paul in Galatians concerning the the Judaizers who had come into the churches of Galatia. If you recall, Paul explains to them at Galatia, to those churches, he says, anyone who preaches another gospel, which is not another, but a perversion of the true, he says, let him be accursed. So Paul is not rejoicing in a perversion of the gospel being proclaimed. He is rejoicing in the purity of the gospel being proclaimed, regardless of the motives being impure by those who may do such. In fact, Paul explained in those verses, uh, verses uh, 15, through 18 specifically, how that there were those who preached Christ of contention, envy, strife, and so on. And, and the point he's making is that even whenever those who, while he was in bonds, while he was in prison, this is one of the four prison epistles of Paul, while he was imprisoned, he's saying that even while I was in prison, there are those who are preaching the truth of Christ with the sole intent and purpose of doing me harm, of causing me affliction. He says, but nonetheless, even at my cost, at my expense, if Christ is proclaimed, then I rejoice that Christ is preached. So last week we considered two verses, verses 19 and 20, in which Paul explained his confidence that the gospel would progress, whether by life or death. Let's look at verses 19 and 20 again. 
For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. So Paul's confidence was that ultimately in God's faithfulness to further or progress the gospel, he says, I have confidence that God is going to do this, whether it be in my life or in my death, the gospel will progress. The gospel is more important than me is what Paul is saying, and he recognized that. And so he's saying, I know the gospel will continue, and God will even use my death to progress the gospel, to further the gospel. So Paul was confident, first he says in his salvation in verse 19, he said, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, the word salvation is used by Paul in Philippians 1.19. It means deliverance, as it often does in Scripture. And Paul is not saying here, oh, I know that through this I'm going to be saved, born again. He's already a believer in Christ. He is saying, I know that all of these things will turn to my salvation, to my deliverance. And Paul's confidence of this deliverance was founded upon two spiritual factors. Notice what he says. First, the prayer of the church. He says, through your prayer, in verse 19. Paul was not expecting the course of his life to take a turn for the better because others prayed for him. But he was confident that through prayer, both he and the church would be brought to submission and would be comforted in the fact that God's will was being accomplished. Then he says, number two, the provision of Christ. This is the second factor. And the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The word supply, it means support. And the word supply implies provision of whatever is necessary to supply or support. So Paul had confidence that God's will would be accomplished and God's Spirit, through His provision of His Son, Jesus Christ, would be all-sufficient to fulfill God's purpose in the furtherance of the gospel. Second, we seek Paul was confident that Christ would be exalted. Paul indicated this realization when stating that both in life and death, Christ would be magnified in His body. Verse 20, He said, Christ shall be magnified in my body, be by life or by death. And the verb magnified is used in Philippians 1.20 when Paul says, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, means exalt or glorify. One can only possess this attitude concerning life and death through submission to the Lord, as Paul further explained in the book of Romans, in Romans 14.8, when he says, for whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord, whether we Live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. So Paul is saying, in life and death, I belong to him. And because he had this understanding, that's why he says in in the following verse, which we started with this morning, verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul had this recognition, he had this understanding and the submission to the Lord and his purpose that he did not belong to himself, he belonged to the Lord. All things were to be unto God's glory, and Christ would be magnified through his life. He wasn't just hoping Christ would be magnified in his life. And we'll get to this in a moment. He's not just saying, oh, well, I pray God is glorified through my life. No, he's saying, I am confident that God will be glorified. I am confident that Christ will be magnified. How could he make such a statement? The only way Paul could say and make such a statement with this confidence is because He was absolutely submitted to the truth that he belonged to the Lord. He was not his own. And he knew that if I am submitted to the Lord, then God will be glorified. Christ will be exalted. Whether it's in my life or by my death, it makes no difference. So this morning we we will attempt to conclude this portion of the epistle in which Paul specifically addressed the furtherance or the progress of the gospel. 
And within this particular portion of this passage, we find Paul's resolve concerning the furtherance of the gospel. First of all, we see that Paul in verse 21 was resolved to identify with Christ that the gospel might progress. For to me to live is Christ, Paul says, and to die is gain. I mentioned last week, often this verse has been misquoted. Many people leave out the preposition to, and they say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's not what Paul says, though. He says, for to me to live is Christ. Here's what Paul is saying. For you to live may not be Christ, but for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul had this understanding. He recognized his, that Christ owned him. He recognized that he was a slave. How many times does Paul say, use the word in the Greek, it's the word doulos, which means slave. Often it's translated servant in, in this translation, but yet we find it's literally that word meaning slave. And Paul says, I am a slave of Christ. I am a slave to Christ, is what Paul states. And what he's saying is that I am in bondage to Christ. But here's what you must understand. Let me just, for just a moment, address this and we'll move forward. That you are either a slave to sin or you are a slave to Christ. And to that one which you serve is the one to whom you are a servant or slave unto. And Paul is here saying that I am enslaved to Christ. But here's the beauty of it. There is no greater master. There is no more caring master. There is no more gracious master. There is no more loving master. There is no more endearing master than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so why would you want to be enslaved to anyone or anything other than Christ when he is full of grace and full of mercy, full of truth? He is, the, he is, all, he is all of these things personified in the flesh. And so we see that we are enslaved to him. And Paul says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul was determined to identify with the Lord Jesus. Paul understood that if he were to identify in the life of Christ, he must first identify in the death of Christ. And we know that Paul says that even Philippians 3.10, I mentioned a moment ago. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And multiple times I have pointed this out to you as we've addressed or mentioned or alluded to Philippians 3.10. When Paul says that I may know him and the, the power of his resurrection, many people just want to stop right there and say, oh, I want to know Christ. I want to know resurrection power. But let us stop and, and, and come to the logical conclusion here that if one is to understand resurrection power, that implies that he first must be dead. <laughs> Only that which is dead is resurrected. And then he says that I may know him in the fellowship or power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Christ is saying, or Paul is saying, I identify in the death of Christ, therefore I identify in the life of Christ. But I cannot identify in the life of Christ without first identifying in the death of Christ. Hence, Paul makes statements like he does in Galatians 2, 20 and 21. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. I do not nullify, Paul is saying. I do not, do not make to no benefit the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. So Paul is saying here, I am crucified. Notice past tense in our English translation. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live present tense. In life which I now live present tense. I live present tense by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is saying, I am crucified past tense. My identity is in the death of Christ, but here's what we must recognize. Jesus is not dead. He rose again. 
So if we are identifying in his death, we also are identifying in his life, in his resurrection. And so Paul says, I am crucified. I died with Christ. My sin died with Christ. Nevertheless, I now live in Christ because he lives in me. Romans 6, 3 and 4, Paul alludes to these same truths. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. How can we walk in new life? Because we have first died with Christ. We are crucified. Now his life is being lived in and through us. So if we are to live in Christ, we must first identify in the death of Christ. And it's through his death that we are raised to new life that we might walk therein. Again, hear me. This is something that is so greatly misunderstood today. People are getting up, and we live, especially, I guess, in the last two decades, I would say, was this great movement of self-help. And it still exists today, and everybody's talking about self-help. Help yourself, right? And, and the reality is that has, that has as well crept into uh, church, into the churches, into the pulpits, where men are teaching and they're trying to tell people how you can better yourself and even how to be a better Christian or how to have a better life and all this nonsense. When the reality is, Paul is, is confessing here, as we must also do the same, if we, if we want to have confidence that Christ is going to be magnified regardless of the situations of life or death, then we must resign ourselves to this truth as well, and we must have the resolve to identify with Christ as did Paul in this manner. Because Paul is confessing here that he cannot improve upon his life, that he cannot live a better Christian life, that there's nothing he can do. In fact, he explains that when he says in chapter 221 of Galatians, I do not frustrate the grace of God. If righteousness comes by the law, then Jesus is dead in vain. In other words, what he is saying is, I do not, again, nullify, I do not make useless the the grace of God, the, the, the goodness of God, the kindness of God that has been demonstrated and bestowed unto me in the person of Jesus Christ. For if I can be righteous by what I do, or if I can become righteous by what I do not do, he says, then Jesus died for no reason. His death means nothing. Because if I can do something to make myself righteous, then I don't need Jesus because I can make myself righteous. And Paul is resigning himself to this truth that this is an absolute impossibility. Here's what I'm telling you. As I've said many times to you, let me just summarize it for you and put it in plain words that you can understand and maybe remember. When it comes to the Christian life, life like Christ, when it comes to a life like Christ, let us understand it's not that we attempt to do better to become more like Jesus. We need to quit telling people to try. And we need to start declaring Scripture when it says to die. Die to self that Christ might live in and through you. This is a Christ-like life. What did Jesus do? He died to self. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He sacrificed himself to the will of the Father. He humbled himself and became obedient even to the death of the cross. Jesus denied himself the flesh that is to say and he had a sinless flesh which we don't possess and he denied himself the flesh that is to say that the father's will would be accomplished in and through his life 
And it also provides us, obviously, an example of how we, if we were to be Christ-like, it's not we are trying in the sinful flesh to live more like Jesus, but rather it is that we are recognizing that we can't live like Jesus. Therefore, we die to self, identifying as death, that his life might be experienced through ours and that we might live through him. So Paul's statement, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, is a declaration of Paul's understanding and a resolve to identify with Jesus. Paul was resigned to the fact that his life was not his own. And what's more, apart from Christ, Paul is stating that he has no life. Paul's life was consumed by Christ. As we've seen throughout the study of Paul's epistle to the Philippians, again, verses 7 and 8 of chapter 3, we read a moment ago. Paul stated, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency, for the superiority of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, to know Him. Everything else is inferior. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, do count them but dung. They are all inferior. They are garbage. They are refuse. That I may win Christ. Paul also knew that to depart from this life was to enter into an eternity with Jesus Christ. This is why Paul would write in his second epistle to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 6 and 8 through 8. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Hence for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. So Paul was resolved to identify with Christ that the gospel might progress. But second, Paul was resolved to submit to the Lord's purpose as the gospel progressed. Look at verses 22 through 24 of Philippians 1. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Within this passage, Paul explains his desire, which is to say what he believed to be better. And yet we also see Paul resigned to the purpose and plan of God. In verse 22 again, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. This verse is naturally divided into two parts. Verse 22 begins, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. In this portion of the verse, Paul acknowledges that if God were to deliver him physically, it would result in bearing fruit. In other words, Paul knew that his life was not going to be lived in vain. Again, notice Paul's not saying, oh, I hope that if I get out of here that God will just use me to be fruitful. No, Paul is confident of this. Paul is saying, I know that if I am delivered physically out of this prison, that my life will be fruitful. How could Paul, was that arrogance? Absolutely not. This is confidence. Not confidence in himself, confidence in the Christ who lived within him. And he's saying, this life is not in vain. What I'm living this life for is not in vain. The cause for which I live is not in vain. The purpose for which I live is not in vain. The purpose for which I'm imprisoned is not in vain. Christ will be magnified. Christ will be exalted, whether by life or death. And if I am delivered from this prison, guess what? My life will continue to bear fruit. Now, we make statements like that, and people look at us like it's arrogance. Well, you could make that statement in arrogance or attempt to, but that's not at all what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, if I live, fruit will be the result. There's going to be a benefit and purpose for the life which I live. And that's why Paul says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He knew his life, his labor was not in vain due to this truth. For to Paul, to live is Christ. Paul had expressed to the recipients of his epistle of Romans his desire to bear fruit by ministering to them. In Romans 1, 13 through 16, he says, Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, and oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but it was let 
hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am, a, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as, is, as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God into salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So within both epistles, Philippians and Romans, Paul expressed his confidence that if he remained in this life, if God were to physically deliver him, he expressed this confidence that his life would be fruitful unto the Lord. And again, Paul's confidence is rooted in the truth of verse 21. Let's read it like we should read it as a third person looking into this. For to Paul, to live was Christ, and to die was gain. So here's the real question. Is that true of you? Everyone makes the statement, for me to live is Christ. That's what they claim. But again, Paul's not stating that. He says, for to me. For to Paul, for, for to me, life is Christ. Christ is life. That's what Paul is saying. And if I die, it's even all the better. Because as I've said to you so many times, as long as we are walking in this life, Christ is with us. But as soon as we enter into eternity, we who know Christ, we will forever be with Him. Which is even better in the sense that all the distractions and all that which is sinful, this wicked flesh in which we live, is all eradicated. And we are in him, with Him in purity for all eternity. And so Paul is stating here that for to me to live is Christ. Christ is my life. Now Paul could only say this because he was submitted to the Lord and to the will of God. He can only say this because he was confident that God was going to be magnified in his life because he recognized that his life was not his own. He was submitted to the purpose of God, to the furtherance of the gospel. He saw the gospel as being more important than himself. He saw the gospel of Jesus Christ as being more important than his plans, than his desires. He saw the gospel as being preeminent because Christ is preeminent. But this means that Paul was literally submitted to the will of God. Now, this is an interesting statement. While people talk of God's will... They often do so as though it's elusive. In other words, okay, now there's this will of God somewhere out there in, in this ethos, right? Or, or ether. And he's saying that, that it's somewhere out there is this will of God that exists somewhere unseen, unknown, but we believe it exists. And yet, it just cannot be found. That reminds me very much so of people who are searching for a Sasquatch. Oh, we believe that there's Bigfoot out there somewhere, but... Nobody's ever seen him, no one's ever gotten proof of him, no one's ever found him, but somewhere he's out there and we're going to find him, right? That's how people view God's will. There's something out there, we know it's out there, we believe it's out there, but yet it's elusive and we just can't quite ever get it. We can't quite ever enter into this. But yet, we as Paul can be confident that our lives will be fruitful when we are resolved to identify with the death and life of Jesus and submit to his purpose being fulfilled. See, people talk about seeking the will of God. And really that's, we know we, we seek, we pray and we want to ask the Lord to give us wisdom and discernment. I understand those things. But when we, when we talk about God's will, I think we are really misdefining the term. And we are really talking about trying to get God to agree with our will. Not about submitting to his will. To be in the will of God has nothing to do with God okaying what you want to do. To be in the will of God means that you say, Lord, I am dead in Christ, 
He is my life. He lives in me. And therefore, this is not about what I want or what I desire or my expectations out of what I think your will is. It is for me to give myself over to you and your truth and your will that Christ be magnified in my body. You want to be in the will of God? Submit to God. It's that simple. Now, I say that simple in theory. Submitting means that we must die, which is not easy. So see, we want to have a submission to God without dying. We want to have resurrection power without dying. We want to know the power of God in our lives without dying. We want to know what it is to be fruitful without dying. Let us remember what Jesus says in John 15, what is taught in Romans 11 as well. We understand that the only life that we have is that we have been grafted into the vine, and the vine is the source and result of life that is now flowing through us as the branch is dead on its own. So we have no life apart from Jesus. So we say, I want Jesus to live in me, and yet what we really mean is we want people to think Jesus is living in us while we do what we want to do. Harsh reality, but true. We want God to agree with us. I want to live in God's will as long as God's will doesn't go against my will. And how foolish that is. And Paul is saying no. Paul says, I am dead. I have no will any longer. I have no life any longer apart from the life of Christ who dwells in me. Paul continued, verse 22, Yet what I choose I want not, the second part of this verse. Paul is stating that he does not know which he desires more so, to live and be fruitful as a result of Christ living in him, or to depart and be with the Lord. That's what he's literally saying. While Paul possessed a tremendous desire to be with the Lord, he possessed an even greater desire to be submissive to the Lord and his purpose being fulfilled through his life. Here again, Paul could say, Lord, just please take me home. I'm tired of being in prison. I'm tired of being beaten. I'm tired of being abandoned. I'm tired of being used. I'm tired of being hated. I'm tired of being rejected. Paul could have said all of these things and just said, Lord, please just take me home. Let me be rid of all of this. But greater than Paul's desire to even be present with the Lord, hear me closely, was Paul's desire to be submissive to the will of the Lord. As much so as Paul desired to say, I want to be with the Lord, he says, as much as I desire that, that really does not matter because what's more important is that God be glorified and magnified, whether it be by life or by death. And the way that's going to happen is for me to be absolutely submissive to the Lord in all things. Verse 23, for I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart to be with Christ, which is far better. The phrase which Paul uses in verse 22, betwixt the two, or in verse 23, means seized from two or seized of two. And the phrase implies that Paul was being pulled from two sides or two thoughts. He's saying, oh, I desire to be with the Lord and that, that I'm, I'm drawn to enter into eternity to be with my Savior. He said, but at the same time, I'm drawn to to be submissive to the Lord in this life. And so he says, I, I, there's this difficulty between a rock and a hard place, so to speak, as we might would say. Paul further emphasized this internal struggle when he continually faced, which he continually faced in his letter to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, 9. He says, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Whether, wherefore, we labor that, whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. So when Paul stated, we are confident, I say, and willing rather, he is saying that he had courage, and would be well pleased or that he would take delight 
in being absent from the body and present with the Lord. He's saying, oh, if I could enter into eternity, that would bring me tremendous joy that I'm shedding this body of death, as he mentions in Romans 7. We'll read in a moment. Paul was not saying he was desiring death. That's not the point. But he did deeply desire to be freed from the bondage of his flesh, as he says in Romans 7, 22-25. We read, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. So Paul in Romans 7, he of course is saying that there's this constant struggle within him, but his desire ultimately was to be delivered from the body of this death. This wicked man that I am, Paul says. So Paul expresses throughout his epistles this tremendous desire to be freed from the wickedness of his flesh. To be freed from the sin of his flesh. That sin was constantly present with him and he despised that fact. But yet he says, so whether to be absent or to be present, what's most important is that we are pleasing, acceptable unto God in our life or in our death. So again, Paul desired to be present with Christ, but at the same time, Greater than even that desire was his desire, was his desire to be pleasing, submission, submiss, sub, be in submission to the Lord, submissive to the Lord's will while he lived this life. Verse 24. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. So Paul concludes that regardless of what he believes is better, which he had already said, which is much better to be with Christ, he is willingly resigned to the Lord's will above his personal desires. Paul recognized that by him remaining in this life, God would produce fruit in and through him. He was confident of this. And what's more, for the sake of the furtherance of the gospel, Paul not only resigned himself to the Lord's will being accomplished, but also was resolved or resolute to give himself sacrificially for the sake of the gospel. Because understand, Paul recognized this is a sacrifice either way. And this is something that we don't understand today either, I'm afraid, too well. And that is that Paul is saying, if I live, it is a sacrificial life. If I die, it is a sacrificial death. Either way, Paul's saying, I am sacrificed. Either way. See, we don't feel like that, do we? Oh, people would die for the sake of, of the gospel? Can you believe that people would literally be martyred for the sake of the gospel? There are people who've done so recently. In our lifetime, there are those around the world who have died for the sake of Christ. They would not renounce the name of Christ. They were believers and followers of Jesus Christ. And you say, oh, what great faith it must take. What great resolve it must take. How resolute one must be if they are to literally give themselves their physical life and existence for the cause of Christ, for the sake of Christ, for the gospel of Christ. But I say to you, does it not require the same amount of faith to give oneself sacrificially in living their life for Christ? To live or to die is sacrifice. But we have failed to see it that way, have we not? We have failed to view it that way. We think, oh, it's a great sacrifice to die. But yet we do not view it as a great sacrifice to live. But if that is true, it's because we are not literally sacrificing ourselves for the sake of the gospel. Verses 25 and 26. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you for all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Paul was absolute in his resolve 
concerning the furtherance of the gospel, which would result in a furtherance of joy and faith within believers at Philippi. Notice he says furtherance again. Not only does he mention furtherance of the gospel in the earlier verses of this portion of this division, but also he mentions it here when he says furtherance of joy, the progress of joy and faith within these believers at Philippi. Paul was resolved to live sacrificially for the furtherance of the gospel and to die sacrificially for the furtherance of the gospel. The reason Paul was so resolute concerning the furtherance of the gospel is due to his submission to the Lord and his identity in Christ. Paul was resolved to identify with Jesus. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. But the life of Christ is being lived in me. Paul says, I am baptized into his death. And then in verse 21 of this passage of Philippians chapter 1, Paul explains the very basis, the very foundation for his willingness to live or die in submission to the Lord's will. For to Paul, to live was Christ, and to die was gain. For to me, can we genuinely, truthfully say this morning, for to me, put your name there, for to me, to live is Christ. Can you literally say, my life, I have no life apart from Jesus. Oh, we can make those statements. I mean, can we literally say, without Christ, there is no life to be lived. And to die is beneficial. To die is of great gain because now I'm leaving this life in which he is living in me that I may forever live with him. For to me, to live is Christ. Is is what is known in, in English grammar, of course, as a linking verb. And one linking verb. And one of the linking verbs, as a linking verb, the verb is, it can also be stated in this manner, because this is what it is actually saying. Life, for to me to live, is Christ. Paul is saying this, life equals Christ. Christ equals life. That's what Paul is saying. For to me, life is Jesus. Jesus is life. Therefore, he could be resigned to this truth, life or death. Not saying, oh God, I just ask that my life glorify you. No, Paul is saying, if I live, fruit will be the result of that. You know why? Because Christ is my life. And Christ is life. Christ equals life. Oh, if I die, then Christ will be magnified. You know why? Because Christ is life, and I'm already dead in him anyway. I've identified in his death, therefore I will be raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Christ equals life. Can you really say that? Can you honestly, in this, with this understanding of what Paul is teaching us in this text, can you say, oh, if I live, it's not, oh, I'm just praying God will be glorified. No, if I live, God will be magnified. Paul is saying that with absolute confidence. If I die, Christ will be magnified. But the only way he could say that is because to Paul, Christ is life. And life is Christ. So can we say the same thing? Let's stand together.